All right, guys, something I'm going to hammer home a lot over the next kind of few episodes in some way or another is something that I've really talked a lot about already in my book, Conscious Coaching, my online course bought in, all these things, but I think it bears repeating. Great coaching cannot be scripted. There is no drop-down menu for every scenario. There is no way that when you're leading people, when you're managing with them or managing them, anything like that, that you are going to be able to refer to some sheet that is going to tell you the, the research, what the research says about the best way to act in every single moment. And the reason is because of context, because of unpredictability, because of the complexity of human relationships and human interaction. Human behavior can't be predicted. Elements of it can, for sure. And we see that in advertising and, and certain parts of data and analytics. But when people are interacting, it's very much like chess. This is actually the first line of my online course bought in as we talk about within a certain amount of moves, just a few, under 10 in chess, over 120 million different movement combinations still exist. It's endless. It's interdependent on so many different factors. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is simple. A lot of times when people come to our workshops or anything like that, you know, what it's obvious is they crave is more slides, more handouts, more this. And we provide anywhere from 200 slides and, and six to seven handouts. But you, you tend to find that most coaches still feel like, well, I want something in my hand that guides me during every interaction. Now, by doing that, you muddy the coaching process because coaching is something that has to be experienced firsthand. It does. It has to be experienced. You have to, it's like, it's an old Van Gogh quote. You have to experience what it is you want to express. We can give you handout sheets for archetypes and influence tactics and uh, aspects of human behavior, but ultimately it's a social process that's on you and the research confirms this. One of the biggest reasons that art of coaching exists is because research in coaching and leadership makes it clear that we have relied way too long on these kind of prototypical step-by-step, uh, -step, wishy-washy leadership kind of continuums that act as if all these things are a rational, knowable sequence. They're not. Great coaching isn't clean. It's not. This is a big reason why we do improv at our events. We do breakdowns. We do film reviews because you only, typically you only learn what you wish you would have said after the moment you said it. And a lot of this is what today's episode is about, albeit in a different context. Today I'm joined by Martin Rooney. And we're talking about all things art of coaching. Martin's got a new book coming out. We talk a little bit about that. But, you know, most importantly, we just talk about how coaches have to put themselves in these situations, these pressure-oriented uh, circumstances where they have to be the one that figures out their communication style, their lateral strategy. The, the, the question I hate most, and I, I know hate's a strong term, but hear me out, is when somebody reaches out and says, hey, I can't get buy-in, what do I do? We have to create a culture that understands that that's not even an appropriate question to ask. We have to say, hey, I'm having trouble with a 13-year-old girl from the Philippines who is nervous because X, Y, and Z happened and coaches are putting pressure on her. I'm having trouble relating. These are things that I've tried. This is why I've tried them. And this is why I thought they would be effective, right? That, that's what we've got to start getting coaches to ask. Nobody says, hey, what exercise should I do? Right. Like they do to a degree, but like if you're a discerning professional, you don't approach your programming that way. You don't approach it by chance. You think, okay, I've got this athlete, this kind of medical history. This is what we're doing. If you're somebody that works in a business uh, in another field, you don't just think, all right, where should I spend my money? You look at the budget, you ask targeted questions. And so that's a lot of what Martin and I are trying to get people to think about. Now, Martin's got a rich, deep reservoir of experience here. 
And, you know, like me, he's on a mission to make better coaches, and we both know that we're not perfect. That's the fun of it. Martin's a former U.S. bobsledder. He's a Division I track athlete, and he's the creator of a training system called Training for Warriors. Martin's consulted with a lot of different companies, guys, ranging from Fortune 500, uh, other companies that specific, Nike, Prudential. He's coached uh, members of the Giants, the Jets, and now he's working in high schools. He's a guy that is on this show because, like you, like us, he is a regular Joe that is trying to improve, right? He's not just trying to work with one population. He's not trying to isolate his perspective, and that is what this podcast is about because the art of coaching is about the art of leading and management. It is not vocation specific. Coaching is leadership. If you teach others, if you guide them, if you mentor, if you listen to them, if you relate to them, if you wanna be there for them and help them, you are a coach. I don't care if you're an accountant. I don't care if you're a teacher. I don't care if you're an athletic director. I don't care what you are. You're a coach if you guide and lead others. And all of this is applicable. So please think outside the box. Encourage your friends to do so too. Just because a book or a podcast is written or hosted by a strength and conditioning coach or a Navy SEAL or somebody that owns their own business stuffing teddy bears, you know, that doesn't mean that those things, the lessons imparted don't transcend into other fields. That's what we could use your help with. And uh, we think we're going to, you're going to love today's episode. Martin always brings it. He's a fired up guy. His book comes out March 10th. Make sure to check it out in the show notes. It's called Coach to Coach. Give us your feedback. We want to hear from you. Go to artofcoaching.com for any way to get in touch. All of our uh, latest workshops and uh, the, the book, the podcast, anything like that, we have it for you. And Martin's going to bring even more to that equation. All right, guys, here we go. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I wanna thank you for joining me, and now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. As the intro alluded to, I'm here with Martin Rooney, the author of the upcoming book, Coach to Coach, on March 10th, 2020. He'll be releasing this as if you needed another notch on your belt, Martin, like like how many books you've written, everything you've done already. But I am happy for you, man, and I'm blessed to have you on the show. What's going on? No, hey, my pleasure. And you know, I think a lot of people may not know, we've talked a bunch offline. And I'll say this, of all the different podcasts I've done. This one is the one I am the most excited about because here's two peers, two colleagues talking about the same topic. And like I've told you, I don't get to talk about coaching so much on a high level. And man, I can't wait to see what we're going to come up with today. Yeah, no. And it's, uh, I appreciate you saying that it's special for me because I think, and I think you'd agree with this with our conversations we've had offline. It's interesting how many how sometimes people try to approach their ascent in this field. We've seen in the past, a lot of people try to take combative and contrarian approaches. And I've always, you know, I've always enjoyed and had immense respect for what folks like you and, and the generation that you're in and everything have done for the field. I've never, I don't know, I guess I've never understood that. I never felt like I had to try to make my name uh, by denigrating something somebody else has done, you know, and I think you did that too. I've never seen you get kind of involved in any kind of 
uh, unnecessary battles in politics. And I think that speaks to a a lot of your character and also a true understanding of what a coach is. What's, what's been your thought in terms of the things that you've seen over the decades on that front, just clicks, combativeness and all those things. What do you think about kind of what that's done to coaching and and where we need to go with that? Yeah, well, well, definitely. Unfortunately, sometimes people will take this provocative approach. I saw that for a while where it's like, Hey, you have to say something crazy and you've really got to get somebody upset. And Hey, there were people in our field that would go after organizations. And really it came down to over sometimes it's something as simple as not agreeing over uh, power clean technique or something else, which was just so silly. And then people are getting banned from events. But what I always aspired to, and for anybody listening, if you really want to achieve and actually ultimately like why we're doing this today help more people which is what a coach does the less i guess you are either argumentative or you are unopen to other people's ideas you're it's gonna hurt you and yeah i think i've tried to make it a part of my career where i'm open to anything that somebody's doing and if they're putting coaching or helping more people on the map i want to learn from it and and i'm glad you said that because yeah like my goal has been never to be, you know, that somebody's going to say, oh, hey, that Martin Rooney guy, what a jerk. Or did you hear that guy? You hear what he said? Because at the end of the day, yeah, maybe you make some real hardcore fans, but then you've really, you've turned off some people from your message too. So I don't know, like it's, and, and, and a lot of times it's not worth arguing over where everybody has something to offer and different ideas. And that's where you grow versus shutting the idea down where you've pretty much stopped. Yeah. No, I think you put that well. I mean, if you look at the art of coaching, right, it, it boils down to the art of working through and with people. It's it's a lot of it is management related. And if you can't discover actions that and, and outputs that enable and empower more people to contribute, succeed and do things, then I always just feel like you, I don't know that you deserve the title of coach because that's coaching isn't about divisiveness. But, you know, within that, Martin, what, like what compelled you to take on yet another book? What, like why, <laughs> why coach to coach? Why do you feel like this was necessary now? And, and if you wouldn't mind giving the, the listeners a little bit of an overview for it and how it applies to our talk today. Wow. Well, I look at coaching and you hit some good things right there that I believe the word coach is probably the most honorable thing you can be called. And, and as I started to ex- look back on my career of all the stuff that I have done, and I'm not here to talk about that today, it's just, I really started to realize I was never maybe the most knowledgeable, like, yeah, I have knowledge in the field and I was never the most, uh, you know, on the cutting edge of science. But the thing was, I was producing results at a very high level and I started to identify that, holy cow, it was the coaching style. And then, hey, for the times when I didn't get the result I wanted, I also saw it was the coaching style holding me back, not a lack of knowledge. And uh, probably 15 years ago, I started to really dive in, not just with the organization that I was running, but also with the athletes too, and trying to almost, I described it as find this, yeah, the, the art behind what was it that I was doing. And I started to realize, and this is the piece that I hope everybody gets today, the deeper and deeper I dove, and you and I have talked about this, everybody's a coach. Like it didn't it, like I'm not just a coach because I have a whistle and a hat and I'm on the sports field. I'm a coach if I'm a parent. I'm a coach if I'm a coworker. I'm a coach if I'm a boss, a, a brother or sister, a teammate, a spouse. And no one was identifying with that term. And when people did identify with the term, they thought about the crazy little league dad or the guy ruining some kid's life, pushing them too hard. And I really thought that there was something bigger. And so ultimately. 
I started teaching courses in coaching and everybody kept saying, man, you got to do a book on this. You got to do a book on this. And it never felt right. Like, again, an art, I think, isn't something you put in a textbook, you know, like now throw high five and now, uh, you know, now fist bump. But I realized people love stories. That was what I always did was tell stories. So I took a real departure of the stuff that I've usually done. And I wrote a story that has stories within the stories that brings out the coaching message. And that book is Coach to Coach. And it's coming out with a a huge publishing house, Wiley Publishing. They are behind this thing. They're fast tracking it. And uh, I couldn't be more excited because I think this is going to be the book that not only gets handed to every you know youth coach out there and high school coach out there, but it starts helping business people, families, just to understand and identify with the title. And And I'll say this, if every parent goes to bed before they go to bed and they just say, I'm proud of you, one extra time to their kid, the book did its job. But I think it's going to do more than that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, all this stuff is timely, right? Because it's kind of that old Marcus Aurelius quote that all victory lies in the organization of the non-obvious. Now, it's tricky because our like great coaching is about taking seemingly disparate ideas and helping other people connect the dots with them. On the other hand, you know, you would think that understanding the importance of coaching, which is rooted in communication, that's the whole point of this podcast, is inarguable. Yet there are still so many people, Martin, that I find that want to denigrate this idea of the art of coaching. They feel like it's got to be a binary art of coaching versus training. This is something I talked about in conscious coaching. I said, listen, just because this book focuses on the interpersonal outputs and process, nobody is saying that the training isn't important. Nobody's saying that in any vocation, uh, you know, that if we talk about this, we're not. And it seems so odd, Martin, right? Because I don't hear a lot of other fields talk about this. One, I have a friend that's a surgeon. They don't have debates of whether surgical skill or bedside manner is more important. In an ideal world, you can have a little bit of both. Uh, now, do they all have both? No, of course. Studies show that a lot of the greatest surgeons are very detached. But, you know, they also have clients that are, are unconscious, so to speak. You know, but like, I don't have a dentist that comes over and is like, you know, we. why is coaching still so binary of feeling like, oh, Martin's writing another book about coaching. He's clearly not a training guy anymore. Or, you know, the, the hard skills, like what, what is it with that? That is so, uh, just, it won't go away. Well, Hey, people like to compartmentalize stuff. And, and it's funny. I'm going to, you know what? It's funny today. And you'll see our different approaches, which I like, man, you've just hit it and really hit it from one way. I'm hoping to hit the other side of somebody's brain with this, with the same idea right here. And, you know, almost like right late brain, left brain. And it's, if we thought of the yin and the yang, how I've always described it, right? And this ancient concept, uh, you know, from the East, you got like light and dark, hard and soft, you know, old and young. There's always these polar opposites. And it's kind of people sometimes they see either training and coaching or knowledge or the X's and O's versus the empathy, right? But here's the thing. They both exist. And they both have an equal importance. And how I even describe it, which for everybody listening, I hope I can make some people a convert if they don't want to hear it. Some people say, man, you just got to be smart. And then there are coaches out there and they might say, well, you just got to have heart. You know, like some guys, it's they're diving into a book, some, you know, to learn more about the Krebs cycle. And then some people are diving into a book about EQ or emotions. And Here's the idea I'm going to give everybody, which I think will help and make it really simple. Um, when I got on Twitter the first time, somebody said, hey, you got to engage your people. You got to engage your people. So I said, okay, how do I do that? They said, ask them, you're at a restaurant right now. Ask them if you should have lobster or steak, 
right? And I did. And, and you got to see, Brett, like people were like, lobster, lobster, no, steak, steak. And people like attacking each other. And then one guy, and I don't even know who it was. If, they, if, if, the, if that person is listening, you should write me. But uh, they said, dude, man, you're Martin Rooney, have both. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it was kind of like this breakthrough moment of, yeah, that's why they call it surf and turf. So whether you want to call it smart and heart or uh, you're, you're, you're going after both tanks, you're trying to empty that physical tank or build that emotional tank, here's the thing. Training is not coaching and coaching is not training, but you got to have both. And as you know, you know, like, and I'll say it for anybody listening, guys, I'm as proud of my degree in physical therapy and my degree in exercise science and my black belt in judo and, and living at the Olympic Training Center when I was on the bobsled team as I am of the ability to coach, but I don't see them as separate entities. I see them as complementary. And I don't know, but it, each one is a study in itself and you have to do that study or just like the yin and the yang, you will be an incomplete coach. And uh, man, and I, hey, I would love to hear somebody refute that. Like, no, I just need to be super knowledgeable, not understand how to communicate with people and I'll still be great. And unfortunately, maybe you will at the highest level in the world where you don't really have to train anybody, but that's not gonna cut it like in middle school and high school where I also cut my chops for a lot of years. Yeah, no, it's valid points. And to build off of it, it, I, you know, when we looked at this, when we were trying to create our like two day apprenticeship program, we were trying to figure out what, how this fits into a broader spectrum. And we found that at least as of 2016, out of 285 coach development programs, only 6% or less focused on inter or intrapersonal skills. And when we were diving into it, cause a lot of it's like, uh, point of my doctorate, it was, well, why? Well, a lot of folks just, like you said, they tend to compartmentalize because typically KPIs of performance are traditionally associated with things like, you know, sprint, you know, uh, strength, power, uh, everything wins, losses, tactical schemes. And so then that led to a huge frustration of mine too. And I wonder if you'll, you'll deal with this with your book. I'm sure over the course of your career, you've dealt with it at some degree, how long you've been around and how much you've contributed and value is, what I found too is when you speak on anything that's coaching science related, people get really upset if you can't provide them with like a drop down menu for how to handle every interaction, right? Like they, yeah. just like they kind of look at ankle mobility and hip flexor, like squat progressions and regressions. When we're at our workshops, we're trying to teach people to be more adaptive communicators through giving them actual experiences that they've got to adapt to. And then of course that are routed in principles and research, but literally it's, it's people want, I remember going somewhere and a strength coach looked at me and says, you're the conscious coaching guy. Right. And I'm like, uh, I, I guess, you know, and he goes, so, uh, do you have a document that can tell me how to coach every athlete and I was like I didn't know if he was serious and I said well I was like well no like that can't happen because culturally I mean there, there's so many differences age culture uh prior experiences like what do you mean like this you have to be fluid and dynamic and he goes well you know I just think that if coaching was a real science there would be something out there by now that tells us how to you know address every certain situation and I'm like dude economics is a science meteorology is a science and they can't predict those things what like what do you think like does that, do you ever get that? Do you, does that make sense to you in terms of why, you know, there might be some confusion around this of coaches just really want like some manual that's almost going to make this job as simple as, or as concrete and linear as filing their taxes almost. Well, not, not only absolutely, but some stuff really, things that did get me upset over the years and Hey, you know, I've presented at all the, the big events yeah. and I'm going to name some of the ones, but you would do them. And then, in, and when they would review, Oh God. Uh, 
the, you know, some, so for everybody listening, some of these organizations, when you go and present, by the way, for like no money yeah, and you, you know, you do it on your dime to go get information out there and people will write in and, you know, you'll see the five stars, five stars, but then there'll be this one. It's like, Oh, uh, I don't see enough, uh, research, you know, like I don't see enough peer reviewed research on what you were talking <laughs> about. And it's just kind of, it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth because we're trying to pioneer something here. And here's something that I think will help you with the explanation. Look at the thing that we were talking about right there. And we're talking about art. You know, first off, we're using the word art. Now, can you imagine somebody went up to say, uh, you know, uh, Monet or Manet or Picasso or, or, or uh, Dali and said, hey, can you show me the, uh, like, can you really break it down exactly what you're doing here? You know, because, hey, they've got the same paints, they've got the same brush, they have the same canvas, but they create something totally different. But it's impossible to say what they did is better than what someone else did. Mm. It's an art. And because it's an art, people are cool with it. It's okay to like Picasso and Dali, even though they are different, yet no one's going to say who's harder or, or even more important, who's wrong. Right. And, and I started to look at, you know, when you really get deep into it, and, and hey, I appreciate your book. With, with Conscious Coaching, you've at least tried to attack that format, but they're, because we're dealing with human beings and the zillion variables that can happen and the zillion variables that make the coach a human being too, I don't think there's ever going to be a perfect science of say this, now say that, now say this, no, now say that. It, no, well, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. you know, humans are complex as are the relationships between them. And it's funny you brought the research because here's what I learned. It wouldn't matter anyway if you like, so in, in our, in my book, I put over 70 references in our online courses. We have over 200 in our workshops. We have over 300 and there's still people that, okay, well, I want research on this and that people, you know, it's just kind of this, nothing satiates them. And at some point they have to, a lot of it, what I found is just a reflection of like, they're uncomfortable putting themselves in situations where they don't have control. And predictability, control, and automatic respect are three things you will never have in coaching or life. You never just get those things. There's no formula for them. There's no equation to solve. That shit happens in real time through the quality of your interactions and the way that you listen and adapt to people. And if I understand correctly, that's a big part of what your book and the parable inside is going to address to some degree as well. Yeah. Well, well, what it does too is it almost, it's interesting. And, and what you just said right there too, hey, for anybody that's listening and, and that kind of, you know, ruffled your feathers or made the hair stand up on the back of your neck and you don't like hearing it. The other thing is, hey, you can read all the, the studies you want. You got to get out there and you got to you got to actually try some of this stuff and see where it goes. And that becomes your art. You know, I, I sometimes cite that classic line, you know, that when uh, the top aeronautical specialists in the world look at the bumblebee because of the, you know, the length of its wing and the size of the bee and, and the aerodynamics of the bee, on paper, it's, the bee shouldn't be able to fly. It's, it's got to be impossible, right? And you could sit there and debate it and read about it forever, yet the bee keeps flying, right? And I remember using that a long time ago. And they talk about that, the, hum, the hummingbird as well too, right? But, uh, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of, you know, it defies, I guess, the science, but it's still happening. So mm -hmm. what I also say is, hey, guys, you got to also plant your feet in the real world. And that, for anybody listening, you should have some confidence. Brett and I have spent a, a whole lot of time. If we took the combined time of just the face-to-face -face interactions 
with high-level athletes, low-level athletes, and just the experience. I mean, just the, the number of teams. And I'm currently a high school track coach. Right. And for the last three years, I was a middle school track coach, plus working with all these other people. So I don't know. It, it, the stuff we're going to talk about, it works, but you got you to gotta do it and then make it your own. That's the art. Now, back to the book idea. The book, what I tried to get across was just these big I don't know. It was to open the conversation. So for anybody listening, you aren't going to read it and it's not going to be like, oh, wow, now here's some deep science about queuing or here is now uh, this extra area about how to understand better, uh, look from things from contextually between two people. But the conversations between the main character and his wife and his children and the players that he's coaching and the coaches that he's coaching under, the book is about those relationships and how to navigate as a coach, by always seeking out how to help the people around you. And it's pretty interesting that, and it gives, you know, and what I do in, in this way of telling the story is really get across my definition of what it means to be a coach and to get across some just really important, quick skills that if you used them, you would immediately improve your communication and your relationships with other people, aka build more trust that then allows you to be able to be a better coach for that person. And uh, so again, it is not the be all end all, but just like, hey, just like I would say conscious coaching is, just like I would say coach to coach is, there are there are certain essential books that need to be on your library if you're going to consider yourself a coach. And when I look at my library, I was always hard pressed to find those books. I think that's why we both created the ones we did is it's almost like I wrote the book that we don't have yet, you know, and I was getting tired of, okay, I can read a book about a coach from either the NBA or the NFL. And maybe I pick a nugget or two out of 400 pages of this person's life. But I wanted to come up with something that was more directed that at least really hit the coaching aspect more than the life aspect, but still tell a story. And yeah, so that, that is what it is. And I, I think it's going to start a whole new conversation that then they got to read conscious coaching after that. And they got to go deeper into the coaching and experience and, and try this stuff. But uh, I think mine is more this beginner piece more than the, the end game. Yeah, well, and you've used the term several times, Martin, right? The complementarity between these things. And a quick story, and I don't, Martin, I don't think I've even ever told you this, uh, although our mutual friend Luca knows about it, but this goes into just how can things complement and build, transcend and include, because that's a huge part of this process. So Martin and I were speaking at an event. Uh, our friend Luca Hosevar had one, uh, I think it was two years ago, at Vigor Ground. And I was out of the room at one point in time. My wife and I had just moved. So I was on the phone with her and we were talking, we were trying to figure out something had gone wrong with the move. I don't remember. It's not important, but I had missed your lecture. And I think I was up a couple times. I think there were a couple speakers uh, between us or what have you. And in that particular, in that particular conference, I was giving a lecture on some stuff that I was doing uh, research on what's called dark sided leadership. So it was about how, um, you know, there are many athletes, the research shows that, you know, they, they don't really want transformational leadership. They need people that can kind of sometimes go to that dark side with them. Right. And there's different expressions of that. And of course we're all talking within ethical bounds, but the research is interesting because it talks about how socially desirable, undesirable traits, things even like subclinical levels of Machiavellianism, narcissism, psychopathy, 
are actually have actually been shown to be traits of some very effective leaders. And I'm not talking about the, you know, washed out kind of Hitler thing. I'm talking about even people like John Wooden and, you know, of course, Bobby Knight more uh, uh, popularly. And even you see it in Nick Saban and Belichick, not, you know, it's not just warm, fuzzy, motivational speakers and, and leaders that win. And so somebody came over and they go, hey, man, I think you should go apologize to Martin. And I go, excuse me? And they're like, well, Martin just gave a pretty uplifting talk. And uh, he looked kind of upset when you were up there speaking. And I go, why would Martin be upset when I was speaking? And they're like, well, you know, your talk basically spit in the face of what Martin said. And I'm like, how? By saying that some athletes don't, you know, socially desirable traits don't always win. And you have to be adaptable to the situation, the context, and the moment. I go, something tells me that Martin knows that. I don't think Martin would have any, I don't think that, you know, I think people have this idea that Martin, let's say you give a a motivational lecture that they think that's you 24 seven and you never know how to put a boot in somebody's ass. And so I remember hearing that and I'm like, "Uh, I mean, okay, I guess. So I went over, you know, and and we have introduced or talked before, but we never had a chance to have a whole conversation. And, you know, you, you were nice enough. You said, Hey, take a copy of my book. And, you know, I expressed gratitude, but it was so odd to me that in the social break there, I had three or four people that thought you and I were at odds. And I go, guys, coaching is about how to authentically and in a genuine fashion show the face and behaviors needed to get that athlete or the people you lead over the hump at that given time. It is not one way. It is not static. Anybody that's coached in a wide range of scenarios understands that. But I never told you that, but people thought we were like genuinely at odds at that conference. No, not at all. Well, and it's funny. Hey, I, I remember it. And, uh, but yeah, and and we talked after and you know, there was no beef. I don't know. You know what it is? People like to have that too, right? Like they want it. There there would be no Conor McGregor (laughs) if he didn't start attacking every guy that he's going to fight and, and have to find some, uh, you know, people gain the excitement of creating these things instead of saying, Hey, everybody's got a message here and we're trying to, to, show all the areas of this stuff. And, and it's funny, like you had, or we were talking before, I like to say in some ways, like coaching is my religion, right? You know, and Hey, when I say that, sometimes people get very nervous or, you know, when I said that in uh, Brazil, where (laughs) maybe they didn't understand the word so well, they were like, Oh my gosh, how could you say that? You're going to hell. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Religion means a codified set of beliefs you feel really strong about. And coaching is one of those for me, but here's the thing in any religion, you know, that when you look at it, there's the dark sides and the light sides and all of these pieces, the story have to be told and they all still are under that. And yeah, so not only that, what you had to say that day and what you just talked about before too, is not only absolutely true, but many times people are still utilizing that, uh, that style, if you will. And unfortunately, sometimes it's not the best style, you know? And it's kind of depend, you know, again, in context and depends who you're working with, right? Because there could be somebody you're working with. And that is the thing they respond to most. And if you don't use it, you won't bring out their best. And that's the art, right, that you got to be able to do it. So exactly like what you said, for anybody listening, training a UFC fighter or an NFL athlete, it's actually easy. They're highly motivated. They're very driven. They're also very experienced. They have had so many years of training. They already know their bodies, what they can do and what they can't do. So you kind of... You kind of are like a guide and, and hey, maybe you're there to figure out their style and fire them up. And I've seen that over and over and over again. And it's the people they connect with both or, or most that become their guy, not the guy that 
had the deepest science knowledge or background. And many times it's that it's that tough narcissist that, you know, really connects with some of those guys, you know, maybe because they've had to be that way too. But the moral of the story is there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. You need both. And, 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 and you, and you got to know them or it's not going to work in particular, like you and I had talked about one of the areas I was really focusing deeper is now that I'm back in middle school and high school, just the way that my female athletes and my male athletes were responding to different styles. I was starting to see that I had to be two different people. I mean, literally within a 10 minute span. And the better I got at that, the not only the better results we got, but the, the less I either scared or repelled away some of my athletes. Hey, everybody, we're going to get right back into this episode. I don't want you to miss any of this, but I did want to remind you that as part of the Art of Coaching audience, if you use the code BRETT20, again, that's my first name, B-R-E-T-T-2-0, BRETT20 at checkout at livemomentous.com. Anything they have there, you are going to get $20 off your first order. If you're not familiar with Momentus, just a reminder, Momentus is the premier sponsor of the Art of Coaching podcast. In short, they're the reason I'm able to bring this information to you guys for free. They're, uh, they help me cover the cost of the podcast and all the other content that I, I'm able to get to you guys. So, you know, their support is huge. Now, if you're not familiar with their products, they have a wide range, everything from their absolute zero grass-fed whey. And again, guys, this is all whey isolate the purest form of whey, uh, arc fire grass-fed whey. Not only that, they have a 100% plant protein for those of you that can't do whey. They have strength recovery, and they're always coming out with new and unique products. Now, one of the reasons I partnered with Momentus is I am a minimalist when it comes to any of this stuff. I'm a big believer that consistency in your training, sleep, hydration and just good nutrition are the most powerful supplements. Uh, But there are certain staples that we can't get around and we have to be able to source in the most responsible way possible. And that we also have to just be able to add in through supplementary form, whether that's because we have busy lifestyles, because we have digestion issues, any number of factors. And so, you know, protein and fish oil is really the only thing that I take. Every now and then I might experiment with some other stuff that's all natural, but I'm not really, I'm from the Midwest. So there's a running joke that we kind of grew up on, on steak and milk. But Momentus is absolutely something I am behind 100%. And again, if you just use the code BRETT20 at anything on livemomentus.com, or you can check out the Art of Coaching Momentus link on the show notes, you're going to be hooked up. Thanks again for your support. And now back to the episode. Mm, Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, everything you're speaking to goes back to what you were talking about with the art pieces, even though there's a science to the art, you're not always going to be able to explain everything, quote unquote, by the numbers, you know, nothing, if anybody seriously believes they can generate lasting high performance, when they manage in a complete binary by the numbers fashion, when we're dealing with a, a very unique social animal in the human being, you're lost. And that's, that's not to take away from anything. It's just try Martin and I are trying to like dead this once and for all, because you find there's only so many Twitter posts, Instagram posts, I put it in my book, I put it in podcasts, like these things are inclusive. They are not uh, separate from the piece. Martin, switching gears real quick, because I think we hammered that home. You know, you <laughs> mentioned coaching styles a couple of different times. 
In your opinion, and I know you wrote this book for a clear reason, right? We both agree that there needs to be a, a more robust library. And I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, so don't worry about, you know, the, the terminology. Just go with kind of what your gut says. What do you see are some of the most common coaching styles utilized today, whether it's younger coaches, because we know sometimes they may not have the experience and, and they just mimic somebody, or even people that are even beyond your generation, right? People that just have stuck in one way. Like, what are the most common coaching styles you have seen over the years, and how would you define your own? Wow. Well, that, hey, great question right there. And, uh, and, and it's funny, things jump to mind immediately when I hear it. And, and hey, I grew up, for anybody listening, I grew up, say, the, through coaching, I guess, the late 70s and early 80s to date myself, where, hey, I'm going on 50 years old now. And when I came up in coaching, which a lot of times that's what people replicate is the styles that they were most yep. within, coaching was really, for lack of a better word, it was authoritative. You know, it was kind of like, this is the coach, what the coach says goes. And not only that, but you put, you put a deep, uh, uh, yeah, like authority in that person that came with that authoritative approach. So if somebody told you something, and unfortunately I had some of these experiences, if a coach called you fat or a coach called you weak, I mean, you took that as gospel. And unfortunately now, as I understand it, it can have some really, really powerful and poor repercussions. And the more people that I talk to, uh, when I ask, hey, did you have a coach like this? Everybody my age did, and it still had incredible lasting effects. And and I don't, you know, I think maybe that was more the style. You know, hey, my mother was a phys ed teacher and coach, and she coached in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, she was tough. And, and, and I guess maybe that's what they thought it was about. But unfortunately, I would say that style today uh, you know, it, there has to be some, you have authority as a coach, but it shouldn't be abusive or, uh, you know, or use exercise as punishment or things like that. Now, the other side of the coin, I would say, unfortunately, is then you got, this would be a funny way to say it. Then you got the non-authorities where now today I've seen it a lot of times with my own children, parents are thrown in to being a coach somewhere, like you said, that they have no background in the sport at all, yet they're trying to like win. You know, it's really weird. Like I can remember my daughter becoming very turned off from soccer because she was on this team when she was about seven or eight and it was like all about winning. And if you didn't win and everybody's getting yelled at and who's getting played and who's not getting played. And they kind of forgot about the develop, you know, in both of these cases, they forgot about the development of the person, you know, and they forgot about, you know, again, building up, either trust or treating that person like a person and understanding the future of what could impact them. So I try, I guess there's two uh, styles yep. right there, right. Or two opposite ends of the spectrum. One, I'm the authority. I know what I'm talking about. You listen to what I do. And man, if you're one minute late, it's a thousand burpees and, uh, and, or then you've got this person that really doesn't know much what's going on, but it's win at all costs. And in both of those uh, styles, man, you leave a lot of carnage in your wake as a coach and it may not show up for 20 or 30 years later. And, uh, you know, again, my book, I'm hoping for lack of a better term, and this is pretty interesting. Now I'm having a breakthrough just so people understand my book. I like to imagine is the Hippocratic oath for coaching. You know, when I went to the medical university of South Carolina, the first thing you learn is the Hippocratic oath. And 
a lot of times it's misunderstood that people think it's just first do no harm was actually that that's part of it, but it's a lot deeper. But the whole thing, ultimately, if you were to sum it up, is it's do the right thing, understand your power, and really, man, don't do things that are going to mess people up, you know, or make them worse. And I don't think as coaches, we have ever taken that oath. I don't think people understand it. And this book, I mean, it really hammers it home because once you read it, you understand your power as a coach and, and how powerfully you could really do harm if you don't try to at least follow some good tenets of coaching. So that, you know, so for everybody, like, that would be a really cool explanation for it versus it is not, you know, then once you've read it, then you got to read content coaching on how to do it. But, uh, but this part is, hey, you're a coach. You could say something that could affect somebody for the rest of their lives. And uh, you better be really careful what you say. Yeah. And, uh, and it's when you're saying it to anybody and everybody is different. So it's kind of, it's going to be neat. I can't wait to see the response of what people think. Yeah, me too. I, I appreciate that. And I think one thing, hopefully, I, I think people get from it. And I hope you're okay, Martin. If I know you well enough, I think that you'll be vulnerable and, and open enough to admit this. One thing I get a lot from coaches is self-doubt. When we did a podcast episode early on, I can't remember what episode it is, but guys, if you're um, if you're a regular subscriber, just go into iTunes or Spotify and you can find it. And we did the the value of self-doubt. Now, Martin, like given everything you've accomplished and even your background in martial arts, because we know that failure is a huge part uh, of martial arts, right? It's celebrated because that's part of the learning process. Have there been points in your career, because people that read your book are going to be dealing with self-doubt. We all do. But are, are there specific periods in your career where you dealt with more self-doubt than others? I mean, even if it was writing this book, but can you, were, were there certain landmarks? Was it situations that you weren't comfortable with at first? Is it stuff that you were pre- previously embarrassed to admit? Talk to me a little bit about the role self-doubt has played in your career and, and how you've been able to kind of manage that over time. Man, well, here's what I would, the simple answer is two-word answer, of course, <laughs> where you cannot, you cannot get better without trying to push limits or to try to do something you haven't done before. So for everybody listening right now, and this is important, none of the stuff that I have achieved and none of the stuff I have done, uh, you know, it's, it sounds really cool to hear, oh, UFC champ or Super Bowl team or all these things. Those sound really cool. But here's what I'm going to tell everybody. The black belt is not the person that makes no mistakes. The black belt is the person that's made them all. He just has figured out how to not make them anymore. So man, my whole career has been built on self-doubt of, man, I don't know if this is going to work. I I don't feel comfortable here. This, you know, from speaking to writing to being in front of, Hey, I was training all those NFL combine guys. I never played and I didn't play in the NFL, you know, and and it's just, there would always be this fear that, but I guess the fear was, I used it powerfully because I always was trying to help somebody get better. And even when I wasn't at my best or I made mistakes, they knew that. And again, guys, for everybody listening, if you're a coach and those people you're working with know that you have their only their interests in mind, not yours, and you're doing everything in your power to make them better, it's going to work. Now, listen to this. You want to hear a story. Yeah. And uh, hey, this is a never told. So guys, anybody listening right now, never told. And uh I, when I was the kind of UFC guy and I was the one of, if not the original physical trainers for mixed martial artists, this is before UFC. We were going over to Japan for pride and doing these really, really tiny events. And I was really trying to pioneer uh, weight cutting 
Because what I was finding is we were ushering into this age where if you could be bigger on the day of the fight and yeah, and they were giving you sometimes one day or two days between the weigh-in and the actual event, man, you could really make some magic happen. And I was studying with uh, people that, you know, first with the classic wrestlers and everything. And I saw that what they were doing was pretty archaic. I said, man, there's got to be a better way here. And then I started really dealing with nurses and my friends that were surgeons. And then uh, I started really taking a look at the cutting process from should it be a sauna? Should it be dry heat, wet heat? And we were defining all these things. And uh, then I had phlebotomists teach me how to give the IVs because we'd be over in Japan. We didn't have nurses available or any of these other things. And man, if you could IV somebody after their weight cut, it had this tremendous effect on their performance. Now, having said that, that is now not allowed anymore. But I mean, I know people were probably doing it for 20 years because we're going back 20 years here. But here's what I would say. Uh, I started to become known as the guy that everybody was showing up thinking I'm going to do this for them. Fighters I was training, fighters I wasn't training. And then they started bringing equipment and different things that I didn't know how to use and didn't feel comfortable with. And I'll tell you this, the day I stopped doing it, it, there were some huge fights and it was one guy that I really wanted to help. It was a guy that I wasn't uh, fighting, you know, training or anything like that. And he brought stuff that had dust on it. It looked so old from like the (laughs) forties. And, uh, and I could, I could not get the IV to work. And then I was so disappointed. And so like in myself, and cause I just had all this doubt and it wasn't working. And then I'm, I'm pricking this guy again and it doesn't work and again, and it doesn't work. And finally I just showed like, I couldn't do it. And, uh, and man, I was just so like, just upset and down and I'll never forget. The guy was like, Hey man, don't worry about it. You tried your best. You tried your best. And, and, and he was so happy that I at least gave it a shot. And uh, because he knew I was so upset, not because of me, but for him. Now, here's the cool part of the story is the guy still went out and won, <laughs> which is really good. So I can't say that uh, that had a negative impact. But, uh, but that was the last day I ever did it just because I wasn't going to take the responsibility of, of something so unknown or, you know, and I just, you know, or take somebody's life into my hands. But what I am getting at is there was always this doubt and there was always pushing limits of trying to do things that I had not done before. And if people recognize that you're given everything you can for somebody else and you're doing everything to the best of your ability, they're going to be okay with it, you know, but that's the only way you're going to grow. So if you're not putting yourself in positions of self-doubt or you're not putting yourself in positions to, to try something new, then you're going to be exactly what you are and never grow. So in a weird way, self-doubt is the driver. So, you know, yeah, if I'm not experiencing self-doubt on a regular basis, like, like you mentioned about this book, this book is a total departure for me. It's in a new kind of genre that I have not done. I, I you know, I never wrote in kind of conversation. So talk about communication. I had to write in conversations between husbands and wives. Oh, it's exhausting. And, yeah. And, and, and I'll say this. When you uh, said, hey, about self-doubt or, hey, was, you know, and, and again, my failures and my mistakes, which is how I've built everything that I've done on top of that, uh, what I think people really appreciate is the book is a parable. It's, uh, you could say it's fiction, but I will also say this, that every uh, bit of the story that uh, I tell Every one of those is based off real stuff that happened to me. So when people hear about the challenges the guy 
as having with his wife. Those were mine. When you hear about the challenges and his coach doesn't have the time for his kids, that was mine. When you hear about how he's not connecting with these certain athletes and their performance is failing and it's all going bad, those were mine. So it's kind of funny that all that self-doubt and those failures is how I was only able to write this book because I didn't write it from, oh, wow, I'm just going to make stuff up. I wrote it from experience and authenticity. And I think that's why it's going to connect with a lot of people. Yeah, it will for sure. And with that, you know, you talk about connecting with people and getting inside the heads of other characters since you wrote this in a parable type format. You know, has there ever been an athlete that in your time you just felt like, and it doesn't have to be an athlete, let's just use, you know, I don't, you, you've worked with youth pros, whatever. So it could be a parent of an athlete. It could be another stakeholder. It could be, you know, a, a, a fight coach. It could be anything. Was there a specific time where you really, really struggled even when you opened your own kind of internal metaphorical playbook, right? And you're a super relatable guy. You're very engaging, but good Lord, you couldn't seem to get through or build buy-in with this individual right away. And it was just, it was really tricky. Was, is there something really memorable and you don't have to use names. I want to protect the privacy, but if so, like how, what was your approach initially? And I ask you that Martin, just for this reason, not to create a long question, but when I get people that reach out to me and I'm sure you get this too, they say, Hey, I'm having trouble connecting or building buy-in with this person. What should I do? And then they provide no context, right? I don't know what they've tried. I don't know the age of the person, their perspective. So I'm asking you, has there been a time? What was some of the context? And then what did you do? Absolutely. I think what comes to mind the most immediately when you started saying that, and there were a few faces and names and watch it. This will be powerful. <laughs> and actually it's going to absolutely back conscious coaching here. And, and Hey, first my mistakes and the errors that we do, but then how at least there was a success at the end. And for anybody listening, the NFL combine program that I ran, and I know Brett was involved with that too, on the other coast, you know, we would have, I'd have like, say 30 guys a year. I didn't choose them. These were 30 people that picked agents that were working with us. And then depending on if they went to a bowl game or not from November to sometimes all the way to April until their pro days, they would be living essentially with me. I was in charge of training them two to three times a day, pretty much uh, putting them in a, a bath and then reading them a bedtime story at night. And, uh, and the job was, the biggest interview of all time, right? It's kind of like you have to have them ready on one day or a handful of days to perform at their greatest physically, to look great mentally, to show up in an interview personally. And this was my job and I was completely tasked with these guys. And uh, here's the thing, I didn't choose them. And now in retrospect, every guy was totally different. Yeah. I mean, we had all, we had all the spectrum. You'd have the, you'd have the Midwest farm kid. And then man, you'd have the inner city guy that, uh, you know, really came from a really, really troubled background that already had some real troubled problems and not to make, take those two as stereotypes, but I want to show the two ends of the spectrum that I'd have then 30 of them at one time. And you're trying to now connect with all of them at once. And, uh, here's the initial mistakes I made with that. The initial mistakes were I tried to, what I always say is smash the square peg into the round hole. I tried to be that authoritarian and this is the way it goes and everybody lines up here and here's how we're going to rock it because, hey, time was of the essence and I didn't feel like individually meeting with each one of these guys because I thought they all had the same goal and they all wanted to get to the same place that we're going to do it this way. And you know what? We got results, but I wasn't making connections with the people and now in retrospect, maybe I didn't best out of those people that I could have. 
And what started to show up was there'd be pushback or there'd be these guys that started not showing up for training. And, and really, here's the interesting thing, you know, man, talking about self-doubt and setbacks, I was measured according to how they did. They were measured according to how they did. And I started to see that, oh my gosh, like we were on the same team here. Yeah. Like I'm not even going to say this guy stinks or this guy's driving me nuts. And that's when the individual conversation started. And I started to have individual meetings with these guys. And I started to try to figure out what was it that was important to them. And like you said, I needed some context. I needed some backstory. And holy cow, when I started getting that, and it's funny because that's I write one of those experiences in the, the new book. When I started to get that, everything changed. When I understood them and they understood me, everything changed how I coached, what I said, and every guy was different. And I'll, and I'll give a few examples here yeah, please. that I, I think are going to hit people hard. But you'll answer this. Hey, hey, Brett. So when I would sit them down, the first thing I would say is, why do you want to go to the NFL? What do you think they would say? Oh, a lot of them, you know, I, I want to be the best at what I do. I love what I do. You know, I'm dedicated, yeah. you know. I, it's I want to play on Sunday. I want to make right. money. It's generally surface level. It's not their real reason. Yep. And it would be like, nope, you got to come back with something better than yeah. that. And you let, them, you let them think on that. That's right? like, I don't I don't mean to interrupt, but that's like where I get frustrated with strength coaches where, I, hey, why do you do what you do? Oh, uh, you know, I want to make a difference. What does that really like? Come on, man. Like, give me something more than that. Like everybody. Oh, I'm a servant based professional. People hide behind ambiguity and they don't look deeper. Sorry. I just, I had to relate no, to that real quick. No, you I got it. You gotta throw, and you're absolutely right. And for everybody listening, Hey, everybody wants to be great right. and everybody wants to make money and everybody, including the 80,000 people that sit in the stands want to play in the Super Bowl too. So it's not enough, right? That won't be the, the driver. And hey, as you talked about, what I liked in concerts coaching is you got to find the driver, then you can motivate them, right? Yeah. And, and see, I, I consider myself a good motivator, but if I don't know their driver, I can't do it. And so then we would dig deeper. No, why do you want this money? Or why do you want to make it? And then they were still superficial. Well, I want to have a nice car. I want to have nice stuff. I want to buy my family stuff. Not enough, go deeper. And then man, as we would go through this, this is where the stuff came out and not sharing names. I'm going to just drop a few that have always stuck with me. One guy was, Hey, I had a family member commit suicide and I want to make it and make a name for myself enough to create a foundation that the shock and the surprise and the horror never happens to somebody again. Cause we can figure out how to, even if we present prevent it in one person and you know what? And then that guy, we had a lot of conversations. He would get emotional. Dude went second round, made it happen. Next guy. There was this guy, Big time university, monster guy, and scary looking. Like, you know, we're, we're talking one of those six, seven, 320s and should be 320, not, you know, 320 sloppy. Mm -hmm. And and he said, you know, and I remember how quiet he was and meek he was. And he said, Christmas just happened and I just had my first kid and I didn't have any money or any presents. And I realized, like, I, I cannot provide for this kid. Like I'm never going to let this happen again. Like this is my chance to be able to provide for this kid. And, uh, and I found out the kid's name and I'll tell you what, every time that kid was slacking, every time that guy, I said, are you kidding me right now? This kid's, you know, and I would say your name and I would say, this kid's going to need shoes, bro. This kid's going to need, <laughs> this kid's going to want a car someday and all this. Are you going to let this slip this lottery that you get to pick the balls out, slip out of your fingers? Cause we're not going to do this drill right now. And man, the guy would just get on task. He killed it, made it a lot of years in the league. 
but one that in particular, uh, well, yeah, man, there's so many of them, a couple of them that stick out. One of them, uh, never had a father figure Dad had been incarcerated, never knew him. And, uh, and this was the thing that came out that like, this guy was just look, he was looking to always like find that in a coach. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, I, I played the role best I could. And one of the most emotional things, and it's on my trophy case, when he left for the final day to head out there, he gave me his game helmet. And, you know, I really believe there should have been a lot of people that deserved that helmet and it's still on my shelf. And, uh, and again, guy went and, and crushed into the league a bunch of years, but it was, and then the final one, and I allude to this in the book a little bit is this one guy and it hit me pretty hard. Cause he was like, he kept coming across so tough and so like just aggressive. And it's kind of like, dude, like, you know, what's up, you know? And, and we got deep and it was, he was from the murder capital of his state. Uh, his uh, father had been murdered and his mother and sister still live there. And he said, I'm my own, I am my family's only shot to get him out of there or something bad can happen to them. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, this guy was so, he wasn't training. He stood in the back. He didn't want to hear it. And man, the minute he released and I understood, and he knew I understood that dude trained his butt off. And actually another guy for me that ran four, three and got drafted high and had a, and had a great career in the league. And, and here's what I'm saying behind all of it. Cause you wanted some of those stories is until I understood that and they knew I understood that. And then, and it wasn't to like use it as leverage. It was to use it as a connection. Cause the other thing that I said to all these guys was, Hey man, I don't get paid any more or any less, whether you make it or not. And like after now a hundred draft picks or 150 draft picks, no one cares. My resume is not going to change at all. So I want you to know, like, I'm just doing everything in my power right now to help you succeed. And to be honest, you, if you guys weren't here, my life would be easier because I don't make any more money or any less. And I could be with my family more. So like, are we going to do this or what? Like, let's go, man. And the minute they really understood that, and that it was the truth, and they knew my story, and I knew their story. Again, AKA, whether it was communication or meeting them where they were, and every guy was different how they responded, like that's where the real magic happened. You know, like when we say the art and the magic, but every one of them was different. There was no binary, like do this, then say that. And it didn't always work, or I didn't always connect the same way. But those stories, if I had not gone for it and done it, man, there would be a whole lot of lives that would be different. So hopefully that, you know, that was deep, like on a lot of answers, but it's the real stuff. No, it's yeah. good. I mean, because if people are listening, they're under, they have to understand that that is the playbook they're looking for, right? And we talked about it earlier. We can spell this out in as many ways as we want. In my book, I gave them 13 mistakes to avoid, 12 tips. In your book, you have a, you have a parable and you have other books that talk about tactical solutions. It's on them, Martin, ultimately. the list, You guys, as the listener, and I say this respectfully, but also to challenge you, it's on you to take these things and make something from them. Um, and and that's, that's what being a coach is. Is a coach is trying to figure that out, you know, to build off that, I found that it's equally as difficult, not just when you work with you know, athletes, but speaking and leading, you know, I've almost gotten burnout on, and I don't mean burnout in terms of physical exhaustion or anything like that. I mean, burnout in terms of uh, really coming to terms that it may not be as effective as I thought on giving, you know, these 60, 90 minute keynotes. Cause I'd go and I'd talk about them and I have like five that build off of the book. Right. So we get more tactical, more specific, more science-based 
But then when I find what I found is despite the fact that I get on the plane and I feel like, okay, I did my job. Hopefully I imparted some wisdom. The majority of people aren't going to apply those things because they forget about it. And then they're inundated with 13 other speakers after you, you know? And so what's missing and what we've tried to bridge a gap with, with art of coaching. And I know you've done with your resources as well is like, these have to be applied. These can't just be read. And then, Oh, yep. I met my one book a week quota. No, like they need to highlight your book. Every time you share something within that parable, they need to write in the margins about a relatable circumstance. Every time, uh, a character in your book deals with or overcomes some level of uncertainty or a coach has to adapt and, and a new communication style is used. That's on them to say, okay, how would I have approached that? They've got to think we need more outputs that make people put skin in the game because they have all the stories. They have all the resources they need to a degree. And now it's, it's only building with the addition of your book. Uh, so there's a rant of my own for you, but it just, it drives me nuts. Cause I hear you give, you know, tactical insight. I hear you give specific insight. Yeah. People will be like, Hey, great episode with Martin. How do I do this in my own field? And now I just, I kind of take a hard nose approach. I go, listen, I'm appreciative of the feedback. I really am. And I know Martin is as well. But what, what we want to know is, what are you doing right now? Where do you think the holes are? Where's your pre-mortem? What could you do different? Are you role-playing this out? What are your deficiencies? Like most coaches, including ourselves, everybody does, we're all included in this, think we're so much better than we are and that the issue is the other person. And that's just not how most things in life are. Like we're usually the lead, uh, you know, ones that we have to apply fault to because we're not thinking critically enough. So there's my rant to match yours. Yeah. Well, and, and Hey, again, using that yin and yang, like now making it a simple explanation. And this is yeah. also inside the new book, man, it's funny. Maybe this, maybe the new book's going to be better than I think, <laughs> but it, but <laughs> if it's, they apply uh, it, it will be one thing I talk about to exactly what you just said right there is I call it the, you know, I don't know what I call it in the book, but I call it the Rooney uh, finger game when I talk to coaches and you notice how when I was explaining about those NFL combine guys, and it would have been easy for me to say, this guy's lazy. This guy's a jerk. Yeah. This guy doesn't listen, but instead, and, and always be pointing at them, right? Like throwing this blame, like they're not getting it done. They're never going to be it. They don't have their heart in it. They don't want it. But there was this shift that I made as I understood my responsibility as a coach. And instead of pointing my finger at them, I started to point my finger at myself. And I said, well, what am I missing? Or what, what am I not doing? And that's where the conversations happened. And, and hey, and I had to read about those and, and, and understand how to go in there and interview and do it. And then it was like, hey, what else am I missing? Or why? And, and the ultimate thing for anybody listening, and this is a power statement here. If you're not getting the result you want with your people, then you have to point the finger at yourself and say, what are you not doing? Why that result is not happening. Yeah. Now see that one means taking responsibility and that one is tough, right? It's easier to say this kid's lazy or, you know, they'll never get it or they don't have the talent, but see, then you're not a coach because a coach should be ceaseless in their pursuit to figure out the, the solution, right? Like, listen, here's a great one. It was this breakthrough the other day. And, and there's a million ways with the art and I know we'll never be able to accomplish it all in a day, but it's like, you have these breakthroughs. And, and one major thing that a coach is there for is to solve somebody else's problem, right? Whether they're coming to you, they want to lose weight. They want to go to the NFL. They, they just want to improve in some area of their life. You're there to somehow bridge the gap, to solve that problem in some way. And if that person is not moving forward, or that problem isn't being solved. Then what are you not doing? Not them. 
right? Like I'll, I'll hear it all the time in fitness. It'll be, oh, this person doesn't lose weight or I'll meet all these coaches that don't get any results and they continue to get paid. And it's kind of like, but then you're not improving yourself or you're not figuring out something. Because I really believe everybody can lose weight. Everybody can be a little faster. Everybody can put on a little bit of muscle. And it's up to the coach to figure out the art of coaching on how to do that. So, so that's exactly what you said. It's like, well, which way are you pointing the finger, right? Are you pointing at them or yourself? And the minute you start pointing at yourself, you start figuring things out and, and actually applying all that stuff that I think you, you alluded to. Everybody already knows, right? It's just, are we doing it? Yeah, no, 100%. Well, listen, I'm excited for this to come out. And like, like you said, we need more of this. We need more discussion about it. We need more application of it. Uh, you know, and here's here's one other question, Martin. Here's the real question that I wonder if anybody's asking themselves is, when are we going to team up and do something together, whether it's, a, whether it's a workshop or something else so that we can get more people uh, like those of you listening, actually working together, applying this and, uh, you know, being able to expand this. When are we doing that? After you're done with your world tour? Your world and not, hey, not only that, we're not that we're not that far apart either. So if anybody liked being a fly on the wall for this one, hey, write Brett, write him. Uh, however, you're communicating with him and say, hey, man, we need to we need to see something because I think imagine if we really if there was an art of coaching, uh, either lecture, video, something, and man, we just kept deep diving because that's the only regret I have for this one today and I hope everybody listening appreciates it is we're just scratching the surface. Like there's like, like now my brain is spinning on like, there's so much more stuff that I wish we could deliver. And I think that's what a coach, how they should always feel at the end of the day. It's like, Oh my gosh, I could have still done this or done that. But if anybody listening is interested write them and we will put that together. Yeah, no, I agree. And and for those of you guys that are in my online course bought in that have already talked about those things, wanting some more live events, and maybe you're not able to make it to an apprenticeship, but you know, something else uh, w- would fit you. Let us know info at artofcoaching.com. Well, Martin, we really appreciate it, man. March 10th, 2020, coach to coach, an empowering story about how to be a great leader uh, from somebody who's seen it and done it over the decades himself. I really appreciate you coming on it. It's uh, and you being able to adapt because I threw, you know, this is unscripted and, and uh, I didn't exactly throw some soft toss questions in there. And so <laughs> thanks for getting very specific and sharing some stories and, and letting us join you today. No, my pleasure. And, and again, ultimately for anybody listening, if you identify with that idea of a coach, that's your job, man. Your job's not to hold back. Your job's not to think you got a secret no one else has. Your job is to do the best you can for that person that is right in front of you. And if you push them forward a little bit, it'll be worth it. And, uh, and I'm hoping wherever you listen to this, you're going to get off the, the call, you know, the podcast and man, immediately go apply some of it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thank you again. And I can't wait to see you in the future. And uh, it's just, it's always refreshing to talk to somebody else that doesn't mind kind of putting so much vulnerability out there and sharing tactical solutions. So it's always an honor on my end. My pleasure. All right, guys, until next time, this has been the Art of Coaching podcast. Please make sure out of respect to our guests and your support of the podcast to leave a review on iTunes, uh, subscribe on Spotify, or just share it via word of mouth. We all try to take time out of our day to provide you with absolutely free content. Be sure to support our sponsor, Momentus, as they're the reason we can do any of this. And make sure that you check out all things Martin Rooney. His book will be available worldwide on Amazon March 10th. Talk to you next time. Listen, one more thing before you go, and I know a lot has been crammed into this episode. 
but I want to make sure I let you know about my YouTube channel. So I didn't do anything on YouTube for the longest time. Uh, but per your guys' requests and per some folks that just really wanted some more visual content, whether that be uh, just tips, advice, strategies, or even visuals of the type of coaching that I do, live events and workshops, I have created a YouTube channel that showcases even more in-depth information that complements the podcast, the book, and everything we're doing at Art of Coaching. So if you found value in this resource or you're enjoying the content, please make sure you visit my YouTube channel, subscribe, and we're going to continue to try to put out a wide variety of things that whether you're a coach, whether you're a personal trainer, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a manager, all in some way, shape, or form help you better interact with people and figure out how to work on bridging the gaps in your own development. So again, check out the YouTube channel, check out anything else that we do at artofcoaching.com. And thanks again for tuning into the show. I appreciate each and every one of you.